1: Welcome to the Star Wars Film Festival, where the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm David.
2: I'm John, and this is our coverage of the 2016 film Rogue One, a Star Wars story.
1: In this podcast, we're going to be breaking down the plot, themes, and impact of the movie before answering listener feedback.
2: If you didn't know, we're covering all of the major Star Wars movies in story order. Next up will be the film that started it all, episode four A New Hope.
1: Woohoo! So be sure to send us your thoughts and feedback about Rogue One, A New Hope, or any other Star Wars meta issues. Send feedback to at thelorehounds.com or visit us at our website. And there you can use the contact form or voicemail feature. Of course, you can join us on our Discord. Links for everything are in the show notes.
2: We will have updates about our programming schedule at the end of the podcast, as well as more info about our Patreon.
1: Patreon's the best way to support us and our community of podcasters, and we offer some cool perks. You can get monthly or annual subscriptions, and your support goes a long way. We'll talk more about it at the end of the pod.
2: All right, David. We've done this podcast six times now. This is, I think, our sixth episode. We did episodes one, two, three. Uh, We did solo. Mm -hmm. We did... The, the Star Wars holiday special, yes, which that's is right. Absurd. Uh, so this is our sixth episode of this film fest. So I don't think we need to remind people our Star Wars personal histories. If you really want to know, go back to any of the other five pods we've already done. But
1: just know that John is a prequel apologist, and I'm an old school '77 adherent, diehard.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just that's kidding. <laughs> I am a prequel apologist. Yes, you I, are. <laughs> I, 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 I am firmly. In the I love the prequels camp.
1: It's your so. nostalgia, right? It's like it's a zone of nostalgia. And you, yeah. you can't fault anybody for falling in love with those things when you're a kid that just hit that sweet spot of, of hey, wow, what is this? Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm.
2: And so. there's something about the world building of the prequels that really. 100%. Because I love world building. Uh, That's one thing that I think the prequels has over the original trilogy is that and something that Rogue One does, if I'm going to do a nice smooth transition here, is really build out the world and the power structures of the original trilogy imperial era. Sure. And I love that about this movie, and that's why it's such a fantastic movie. So before I say anything else, let's just give a quick (laughs) spoiler warning. We're going to talk about everything Star Wars that has ever come out anything's fair game. If you are sensitive to spoilers and don't want anything to be spoiled, go consume the entire Star Wars media and come back. Uh, (laughs) In about a year, you can listen to this podcast and and enjoy it. But if you're here along on the ride, which I think most people will be. I think most people are ready to just have a good time with this franchise. Yeah,
1: it's not like we're spoiling every yeah. single detail of every single property. So Right, yeah.
2: right. And I'll I'll give a heads up if I'm gonna be like this this is seven arcs of rebels, you know. But <laughs> right. Um anyway, the point is we're here, we're talking about Star Wars. Now, David, can you give me some Star Wars news before we get into our overall impressions?
1: I have not been tracking the news so closely just because we're so involved with True Detective right now, but we just got word that Bad Batch is going to be starting up again, their final, the third and final season. So that's exciting. Um, There's a lot of chatter about that on the Discord, and uh, we've got dates for all of the episodes. I just want to double check. What do we got? We have. Uh, 15 episodes, I guess.
2: 15 and episodes.
1: Yeah. Starting February 21st. And I guess in that's May, reasonable May for an
2: animated show. Yeah.
1: And you definitely want to check if you're a subscriber, you can check the show tracker on, which is a Patreon exclusive benefit, or it's just out there on the internet too. They've posted a episode guide because... They're going to be doubling and in some cases tripling episodes, depending on the mini arc is what we would guess that they're going to bundle episodes. So like 310 and 311 are going to release on the same day, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So exciting. We love us some Bad Batch and I am uh, excited to find out what happens. We are still waiting on news for the Acolyte and Skeleton Crew, which are assumed to be coming out this year. And I know Alkalite, Al- Alkalite? <laughs> Alkalite is going to be a day one coverage for us. Uh, I would assume the, that you are also on board with that. I know you've been excited yeah. for that. Uh,
2: I'm, I'm really excited. So I love exploring like Sith lore. And that mm-hmm. seems like it's going to really get into that. Plus, I think it has Jude Law in it. And I, I think that's Jude Law is in Skeleton. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Don't add it right. Oh, my God. Uh, it does have, I believe, uh, oh, man, I can't remember the actress's name, but she's in it's His quite- Dark Materials, Logan, All That Jazz.
1: All That Jazz. Oh, that's a great old title.
2: Well, you know what I <laughs> St- mean. Yes, you know what I, I mean.
1: I'm giving you our time. Uh, and then Skeleton Crew. It's animated, it's going to be maybe geared more towards a tweener audience, young adults kind of thing. We're not sure. There's not a lot of information out there about it yet, but uh, yeah, that's the one that's going to have Jude Law. So we're waiting and we're waiting. And when we know more about Skeleton Crew, we'll decide on on the kind of coverage. Probably like, if it's animated like that, probably it'll be similar to what we do with Bad Batch, where we do a series of check-ins over the season where it sort of makes sense to to touch base with the episodes. Movie-wise, we do not have a lot of strong, hard information about what movies. We know that there's a Daisy Ridley movie that's being talked about. And then there was this sort of weird Mando and Grogu movie that was... (laughs) Sort of. Yeah, yeah. Kind of smelled like desperation on the part of Lucas Studios. I don't know what's going on there.
2: I I don't know, because they. it does seem like they're trying to have Filoni wrap up the Mandoverse in some big bang, which Mm -hmm. is fine. One thing is is I think the, the Kevin Feige one has been completely canceled. Uh, there's, <sighs> there's, uh, they keep canceling everything. Yes. It's pathetic. It sounds like they do their end of year stuff and then, you know, their, their profit margins. And then they say to Kathleen Kennedy, yeah, uh, you're, you're done with this. We're not, we're not paying for all these things. You, you know, sell some movies first.
1: We need to, yeah. And the, the number of directors and actors who have been attached and then unattached, it's, it's shocking. Actually. The problem it's is like
2: just, at a certain point who would work for this company, right? Exactly. And who that, you that's can't the trust. problem. Yeah. Right. 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 Oh, and of it's course rough. we
1: have Andor, which will be out in 2025, uh, as far as we can tell. If they got it in in 2024, I'd be really surprised. But considering yeah. they're just, did they just wrap uh, or about to wrap um, filming? I think uh, they probably
2: wrapped or are close. Because I, I here's some more Star Wars news that's going outside the Star Wars universe. I mentioned this on our True Detective podcast when it was completely right. irrelevant. But Varada Sethu, <laughs> who uh, played Cinta, uh on Andor, you know, one of the, one of the gang on, on um, what's that planet? Uh, oh man. We're really doing our it's... best here tonight. I know. We're really doing. I, our. I best know Ferrix. Uh,
1: I know. Um, um, oh boy. We're struggling. Wait, okay. we can't, we, okay. this cannot the be. The point
2: is the heist. She was on the <laughs> heist crew <laughs> and is so she bad. is going to be the new companion on Dr. Who. It sounds like so. It sounds like she is going to be freed up to film Doctor Who, which is a full-time job. That is like a big, you know, you're always, you're in every episode. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like we're going to have Andor at some point. Sounds like they're wrapping up something.
1: Sounds good. It was Aldani, by the way. Aldani, Of course we'll do
2: that. And we got to know some Andor tonight because it's related here. It's related. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a little bit. All right. That's enough Star Wars news for now. David, what did you think of Rogue One on your most recent watch? Can I
1: plug one more thing no. before we actually get into it? No.
2: <laughs> I said no.
1: Oh. Go ahead. Are you just saying stuff and then being— you, I'm, you, I'm just you do making this, an exception here. Yes. You do these—you say silly things and then you say something nice.
2: Yes. That is your— You're a gentleman MO. and a scholar. Now, just, just go ahead. Go ahead. Give me the news.
1: Lieutenant Colonel Matt Cavanaugh is going to be joining us for an interview to talk about Rogue One and all things military related to the Star Wars um, universe. I heard uh, Lieutenant Colonel Cavanaugh on uh, Maester Anthony's Electric Bookaloo podcast. I don't know if you've heard that episode, but it was fascinating. He, mm. um, Cavanaugh, has edited two books. Strategy Strikes Back, How Star Wars Explains Modern Military Conflict, and Winning Westeros, How Game of Thrones Explains Modern Military Conflict. And so I'm not sure how uh, Anthony got in touch with him, probably through one of the books, invited him on the podcast. They were talking a lot about uh, the, the military aspects of Westeros and Game of Thrones. It was entirely fascinating. I contacted Anthony, Anthony passed me the details. I've been talking with Matt and we're going to have him on the podcast and we're going to use rogue one as an entry point to examine the all things military in star Wars. I think rogue one probably has some of the strongest military related themes in it. Um, just straight up, you know, a big part of this is about military, military Mm -hmm. industrial complex, orders, yeah. you know, uh, the, you know, the rebellion and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it'll be a really exciting conversation to have him on, uh, on the podcast. I mean, he's basically written two books, which are so parallel into the kinds of yeah. things that we do, where how do fiction and the real world interrelate and in what can, what can we learn about the um real world through fiction and vice versa and i think it's going to
2: be a, a lot right. of fun
1: so we're we've got that scheduled for early february so probably sometime mid-february we'll have that out to everyone
2: cool yeah cool i'm looking forward to that conversation i got to read that book before then at least the star wars one because it sounds fascinating
1: yeah i i have not i don't think i'm gonna be able to get to read them but i'm super excited to talk to them. so i'm, I'm
2: trying to be back on my reading throne ah, right now okay, so cool. i'm I'm doing a little bit of reading. I have to add that to my list now. Okay. All right. Well,
1: you just just Google for those. You can find them. They're they're available
2: everywhere. Cool. Yeah. David. Yes. Rogue One. I said, yes. give me your most recent impression, but I think maybe talk about the first time you watched it compared to the last time.
1: Uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember seeing it. I'm pretty sure we saw it in the theater, and I. I don't have a distinct memory of it. All I do have is a distinct memory of, I love this movie. It is my Mm -hmm. favorite star Wars movie and it has flaws and there Mm -hmm. are things that it could be, it could do better, but none of those flaws take away from the, the vibes, the enjoyment, the, um, the just the, the overall sense of dramatic stakes and the fact that this is a star war, right? This is mm-hmm. a, uh, a, a rebellion and it's armed conflict. It's a, it's a bunch of insurgents fighting a dominant power and everything about it is very gritty and real. And I just love that. I, I love the, the heavy hitting stakes of it. Um, I know Jin Erso's arc, people complain about it, not because Jin Erso, you know, there's a problem with Jin Erso or the actor or anything like that, just in terms of the way that the story got chopped up Mm -hmm. and, and how they present it, that she doesn't really have a full and complete arc where, where Cassian Andor does. Yeah. Um, that's fine. And you know, and we, we didn't get as much Forrest Whitaker as Saul Guerrero as we wanted. And there's some weird things in there with, uh, the pilot and you know, that whole storyline mm-hmm. fine. There's plot holes, but none of the plot holes take away from my absolute adoration of this movie because it does something that no other star Wars movie does. And is that it, except for the and or TV show, which is that it, it really puts a lot of real stakes on the table, maybe 77 and empire strikes back, get close to that. Um, And I think probably that's why maybe Empire is a a strong favorite for a lot of people. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I just really enjoy so much about it. And I'm really, I really wish, what if if, um, Gilroy had been brought in earlier on this? You know, what if it was Mm. done a little bit differently? Who knows? We can't say we have the movie that we have. Uh, I'm just glad that the movie we got was as potent a uh, story and, and visual uh, feast. I think it has one of the best star, star battles or you know uh, starship battles in all of Star Wars. You know, the Battle for the Gate is just so yeah. exciting and so compelling and, and having it paired or twinned with the battle on the ground and the way they do the editing that cuts back and forth from all of that. just that energy is, is really um, just exceptional. It's, it's what I've come it's what I want from my Star Wars is, is this mm-hmm. kind of stuff.
2: So Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I I would say that you like it. Would you say that?
1: Yeah, you know, it's (laughs) fine.
2: (laughs) Uh, It's funny. I I think I liked it better on my first watch. I I Uh still really like it. Don't get me. I've lost count
1: of the number of times I've watched it. I I don't add that in there. Okay.
2: I think this was my third time watching it. Okay. I missed it in theaters. My my dad was in the hospital and towards the end of his life at the time, and I was just not. I wasn't going to the movies. You know that was not a thing. Sure. Uh, yeah. The last movie I saw with my dad was actually The Force Awakens, and he loved Star Wars. And I wish he would have been able to see this movie. I can't. You know, I saw it probably a year after he died. Okay. Uh, I wish he could have seen this movie because he loved Seventy Seven so much, and this really, really enhances Seventy Seven for me. Sure. It really enhances A New Hope for me, and I think that that is the best thing about this movie and this, I I'm not someone who really loves the space battles for themselves. Okay. I'm not someone who's just like, give me the visual eye candy. That's not mm-hmm. really, that's not really what I'm here for. I'm here for the story. Right. And in the
1: lore and the world building. Yeah. Yeah,
2: but- yeah. 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 And so that's why I think that for me, I'd actually place empire and revenge of the Sith above this movie in my sure. star Wars. Ranking Personal, system, right. but I think this is either three or four. If I tell you what it's competing with for three, you're gonna hate me. But <laughs> it's it's the Last Jedi. But don't don't at me. Don't at me. Don't at me. But anyway, I really like it though. Like number three out of like ten is a great ranking, right? Sure. I, that's yeah. that's one of my top films, and, right. and beats out anything else, even in the original trilogy besides Empire. Right. So I thought it was great. Like you pointed out, like you sort of alluded to, it's a bit of a mess in terms of, you know, characterization can yeah. be a little sloppy, Plot. scene construction. It does sometimes feel like, OK, now we're in this movie. Now we're in this movie. Um, and I, I don't want to because because and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit in the production, but I don't want to bash the original crew because I don't know what movie they would sure. have made. I sure. don't know I don't know how it would have turned out. Maybe if Disney would have let them see their vision through, it would have been even better. But all we have is the half Gilroy, half uh Witta and uh I wrote it down Gareth Edwards, yeah. you know, movie. And I just I, don't know what it would have been if it went one way or the other. I think I think we know that probably Tony Gilroy's handling of it would have been very good if he were able to handle the whole thing. I just don't know what it would have been with Witte and Edwards the whole time.
1: I will say this having recently covered the creator, which is a, um, Gareth Edwards movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And Alicia and Jean and I dropped a podcast, uh, reviewing that, um, earlier this year, was it, or at the, it was in, in at the December. end of 2023. Yeah. yeah. It was just in December. And I will say that Edwards has a beautiful eye. He's almost a better cinematographer than he is a, a director because the story in that thing was I won't say a mess. I mean, I know he's not the lead writer either, so that's fair enough, but the yeah, the the story was not strong while the visuals were incredible. Absolutely gorgeous movie really fascinating world building and so i kind of feel like maybe that's what we would have gotten in in rogue one with some some dark stuff that had some thin story and uh, beautiful visuals so but that's speculation on my part that's totally speculation and and i'm and i'm with you i don't think we should get into a lot of bashing and just accept the fact that it didn't go well they, they were able to get a film on screen, huge accomplishment. And the film that we have is the one that we have. And we like it. We love it for all its flaws and strengths, I guess you could say.
2: I guess that's my question is. So this is one of two movies that has the A Star Wars Story branding. This mm-hmm. is Solo. Which is Why really. Why were both of a- these a complete disaster in production?
1: Why is it that we continue to have directors and actors attached and unattached to various projects? Why is it that we only have two of these Star Wars story movies? There is something very wrong at Lucasfilm and Disney, and that relationship is not functional. Yeah, uh, The only thing that's functional is what Favreau and, and Floney have been able to pull off on, on television, which to some mixed results, right? Mm-hmm. We had we had some great stuff and we had some not so great stuff.
2: And and I'm loving the animated stuff too. I'll say that. Bad batch is sure. better than ever.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The animation looks great. I'm really looking forward to to season three. So yeah, I, I think it just goes to the problem of the studio. How many it was four billion that Disney bought Lucas
2: for? I don't know. Something yeah. Like so
1: there's pressure there to return on value. And I, I don't know. I think it's just it's all messed up.
2: I've been thinking about it a decent amount lately of, of that. And even the video game industry, I don't know if you know, but it's really contracting right now. A sure. lot of people got into gaming in 2020 during the pandemic when we were stuck inside. Those people did not end up largely staying permanent gamers, right? They're not people who are constantly buying the latest tech and the latest game. And so Microsoft just bought Activision Blizzard. That was a right. controversial thing. I have my feelings both ways on it. Um, but they bought it for, I think 70 million, 70 billion. Sorry. Wow. And they wow. just laid off 1900 people. So it's right. It's just before Christmas, right wasn't now. it? And what?
1: And they, they, did that just before Christmas. I think.
2: No, they just, well, they, they, this is the second round of layoffs. So oh, they this did is some the second Christmas, round they did of layoffs. Okay. 1900 right now. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. And, and my point with that yeah. is they canceled a survival game that was in development. A lot of things that have been in development, and it's not just Microsoft. We saw Embracer Group cancel a Deus Ex game. There's, there's a ton of uh-huh. cancellations of games happening right now, same as with Star Wars movies. And I think that part of it is just they announced things to appease shareholders and superiors, mm-hmm. and they had no intention of making it to begin with. Like, mm-hmm. maybe if it really takes off, we'll put it on screen. But in reality, we're just keeping the shareholders appeased. They want to see growth. We're giving them growth. So we're announcing all these things. We're getting the hype machine going. When in reality, and, and you see this with movies, you see this with games and TV is, you know, a Beyonce album. Drop the album. No warning. Right. right. Like that's the <laughs> hit. People love that. You know, what's the most successful gaming moments. I'll tell you, one of the most successful gaming announcements I've ever seen was when they were when Microsoft was having an Xbox direct some sometime in December 2022. And they said, hey, you know, that Halo game that's coming out in two weeks, you can play the multiplayer today and you can just keep playing it through. It's just wow. aw- it's just turned on today. amazing announcement we're all rushing home after work and school trying to play i mean come on who who could beat that do that with more movies i'm not saying Mm -hmm. you shouldn't promote it at all but like give it a three to six month window at the most announce it six months in advance
1: right right
2: that's all you need to do
1: well or follow through (laughs) you know actually
2: but but i i understand not being able to follow through right like i understand that not every idea that gets kicked around can come to fruition.
1: Sure. Yeah. No. That's that's for sure. But when you do choose something, you know, see it through. I think for me, and I've I've talked, I've ranted about this before. I don't want to rant too much more. It's just uh, studio economics. Not. It's not even studio economics. It's corporate economics versus the the creativity, the the desire of a studio to produce and be creative and put creative works out. Right. And when. Finances and shareholder value trump actually putting product out there. That's a problem, right? And, and well, nobody
2: wins, and it part. always does, right? It's just yeah. it's just the degree to which that happens. And the problem is the people who care about making this art great aren't the ones who call the shots.
1: You know, maybe um, we should talk about the movie.
2: <laughs> well, we're fighting against the empire of corporatism. There we These go. These people good are fighting segue. against the empire. I want to talk a little bit about the production now that we've complained about uh, <laughs> production for a little bit. This was a bit of a mess, not quite as much of a mess as Solo. It doesn't sound like anybody was really, like, fired. But, uh, you know, it started off, they had Gary Witta as the writer. If you don't know, Gary Witta, um, we actually had a Twitter exchange at some point. I, I was trying to get him uh, to come on the pod, but it, it didn't work out. But he uh, he does a lot of gaming podcasting over on the Kind of Funny Network. And he's been a, a video game writer for a long time. He's a screenwriter and, a, and a, uh, an author of novels. So he's, uh, he's a cool guy. But uh, it had him as the writer and Gareth Edwards as director. And then about a year later, Wida finishes his work on the script. You know, we don't know what that means. Uh, and it's replaced by Chris White's. Then Tony Gilroy is brought in to handle some rewrites, reworking of scenes. And they do five weeks of reshoots, which I don't have a gauge for how long that is. But it feels like a lot. lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a lot.
2: Feels it's like not, a lot.
1: It, it's not. It's not a. It, yeah, well, it's it's a medium amount, right? It's not. It's not a little, and it's not a lot. A lot. It's yeah. It's substantial. It's significant.
2: Yeah. It's uh. You remember when the writer strike started, and we found out that Rings of Power was still doing reshoots, mm-hmm. and uh they couldn't have the writers on set.
1: Right. Yep. And we we're Which very worried about that. Scary. I'm still
2: worried about that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, unrelated. So uh, this was also, I should mention, the first Star Wars movie that had digital recreations of real people. Mm, right. They had Peter right. Cushing and Carrie Fisher.
1: That's right.
2: And Carrie Fisher was alive at the time, so it felt less weird, I think. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember she did an interview at the time where they they had shown her the footage before it went out. And she said, oh, I thought this was B footage from of me in – You know, (laughs) she thought it was actual footage of her. So she was fooled. I don't I don't think I was as fooled as she was, honestly.
1: Sure, sure. But she saw it. Yeah. Who knows what she saw? Yeah. Or or what state she was in. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, anyway, and, and I guess the Peter Cushing estate played a big role in like making sure they did it right. So that's pretty cool to hear.
1: Yeah. And it's going to be a bigger issue as we go forward, and so we're going to see how it gets handled. It's going to get better. That's one thing that we know. Yeah, uh, it's it's not going to um, be easy in future when they have legal rights to use somebody's uh, visage and voice. It's going to get harder and harder to tell, uh, mm-hmm. I think. And so yeah. we just got to see how that's going to going to go. Yeah.
2: Anyway. All right. I'm going to give a quick summary of the plot, and then we're going to go into our discussion of the impact on the Star Wars universe, and we'll talk sort of about our favorite scenes. Shortly before episode 4 A New Hope, Jin Urso, the long lost daughter of the Death Star's architect Galen Urso, teams up with a group of rebels led by Cassie and Andor to find her father and discover the weakness of the Empire's super weapon. When the rebels accidentally killed Galen in an air raid and refused to help Jin, Cassian decides to be a Rogue One and bring a band of rebels to successfully recover the plants of the Death Star. Jin and Cassian succeed, but don't survive. Princess Leia says the Rogue One team brought hope. Oh, that
1: was a good synopsis.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I've been doing this a while now. A couple years.
1: <laughs> Pretending to be a professional.
2: Mm. So... I mean, it's it's actually a pretty simple plot, right? It's yeah, there there is a weakness in the Death Star intentionally put there. We need to go get that.
1: Yeah. And And they do a good job bringing it to life. It's a MacGuffin hunt. And uh, but it has stakes. Like you said, uh, you've said several times, many times that, you know, if you can use tropes, just use them well. Yeah. And and I think, you know, any any recycled plot line bits here in terms of MacGuffin hunts and, uh, uh familiar f- stories about families and, and broken families, um, that get reused. They're done so well here that, you know, by the end we really care for every single character and for mm-hmm. every buddy who goes, and, and I think this is one of the first Star Wars movies too, where all the main characters die. K2SO, yeah. Bodhi, uh, Charity and Baze Malbus, you know, yeah, everybody, you know, so I think it, and they made me care for every single one of them, right? Mm-hmm. By the end, I was so invested that it, with each death, it it felt, um, n- okay that like that for the story that that seemed logical that seemed right i mean they're on the planet surface they're outmanned they're outgunned and it's casualties are going to happen but every time a character went down i really felt the impact of it and um it i think that's the only star wars movie to ever really do that right i mean we see some you know npcs get killed but you know other than that
2: yeah, this is the second piece of media that I really seen kill off all the main characters by the end. Yeah. And the first one was a video game. It was <laughs> it was Halo Reach. It was um, a- and I don't want to spoil it too much because it's probably going to be the plot of season two of Halo. But essentially, you know, everyone you love dies in that game. And uh, it's really brutal. And the last mm-hmm. level of it is just you have to fight until you die and you will die. Like, mm-hmm. that's just it. That's how the game ends. And this feels like a similar thing here. And I was really impressed that they actually went with this dark ending. Especially, I saw that in in in, the, in the, my little short bit of research. I guess they wanted to kill everyone, but they didn't think executives would go for it. So they right. originally wrote two versions, and they were going to shoot it. And the executive said, "No, no, it's better for uh, for them to die. I think that's you know that's a better story. Go for it." And so Art won that day. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't even shoot the one where everybody lived.
1: Amazing. I think this is also the first one that had as many planets. I think we have seven planets that we visit in this movie. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Uh, where most of our movies are a couple, two, three. This is a lot. Yeah. We had Lamu, the ring of uh, Khafrein, which I guess we can call it, quote unquote, a planet. Wobani, Yavin 4, Jeddah, Edu, and Scarif
2: that's yeah, a lot of the place of
1: planet hopping for a star Wars. And yeah. I think some people I've heard some mild kvetching about, Oh, it's, uh, it's a lot to take, take in, but this is a really big universe, right? It's a, it's a, it's literally a, a ginormous galaxy. Yeah. And it was kind of nice to be able to expand outwards again, instead of just being on freaking Tatooine, you know? <laughs> um, but to see a, a wide variety of planets. And I, I I really appreciated that aspect of the of the movie as well.
2: Yeah. I think my favorite part of the movie though, is really the theme that it drives home, mm-hmm. which is is when I like Star Wars its best, which is mm-hmm. the tighter the Empire tries to have its right. grip on the universe, on mm-hmm. the galaxy, mm-hmm. the more it weakens itself. Mm-hmm. So Galen Erso, he had designed the Death Star, and, and I, it sounds like at the time that uh, Jin is a child, probably somebody else could have finished it and it wouldn't have had that weakness, right? Mm-hmm. But because these people needed to go hunt him down, kill his wife, leave his child for dead, he hated the Empire so much. He was ready to leave them alone the rest of his life. He would have just died in peace. Mm-hmm. Because they tortured him so much and they tried to take a grip on his family and control him, he put in this fatal flaw. Revenge. And he, and he created, yeah, an an outlet, a, a method for revenge, even if he wasn't gonna live to see it. There's that and and also Jin Urso didn't give a shit about the rebellion. Yeah. She yeah. didn't want to be involved at all. And that's you know, it's it makes me sad because we can't go back and like have her in Andor because her story really begins at the mm-hmm. beginning of this movie. But man, she didn't care at all until her dad died, until she saw saw suffering. And, you know, it took things happening to people she loved unnecessarily for her to really get involved. And all these people are being radicalized by this crazy fascist machine. And even the way that Peter Cushing His character, I'm calling him Peter Cushion, uh, uh, Tarkin, how Tarkin is just abusing his underling and trying to Mm -hmm. take credit from him. And, you know, let's not have any uh, (laughs) any sympathy for um, Krennic. Krennic, but still the way he he tries to undermine him at every time makes it so that there are more weaknesses. Right. It makes it so that there are vulnerabilities because Krennic is now trying to go behind his back.
1: It's really interesting that you point out the fact that if Galen Erso hadn't had a desire for revenge, (laughs) this thing would have gone entirely a different way Mm -hmm. that, that his family is broken up, his wife murdered his child, who knows what, right? He, he doesn't know until, until he finally dies that, um, What if they had been able to scoop him up and, and take them all away? Would he have had the same burning passion for revenge? I mean, talk about a goal oriented behavior, right? He had a really, he had to work pretty hard Mm -hmm. to build that flaw into the death star so that it was undetectable. Yeah. And that kind of motivation that kind of willingness to go to that degree doesn't come unless you're radicalized in some way and uh the death of mira and the and the loss of his daughter um uh, radicalize him to the degree that he could do that and actually pull that off I, I it's a really yeah. interesting insight i haven't thought about that
2: before and i i really like that so you know, let's just talk about it. This is a retcon, right? This is this is explaining something that was previously sure. left up for, you know, open interpretation. And right. that's fine. That's fine right. with me because they didn't do it in a cheesy way of like, oh, well, we had a rebel infiltrate and we had them work their way up the chain. And it was big incognito. Jason Bourne designed the Death Star. Um, instead, they said, OK, let's give somebody who was already on the inside Motivation, believable motivation to actually go against the Empire and create this opening for the rebels. I love that. I love that they made it a character motivation arc rather than just a plot driven arc. And that's what makes this movie so good. Mm. You're talking me into I'm talking myself into putting this (laughs) higher up on my list as I'm talking.
1: So here's a question for you. And I was I, I posed this to some of our our folks on discord and we had some conversation about it. I have the distinct impression that one of Lucas's original concepts for the 77 movie long before it, you know, blossomed out into this much bigger world, but embedded in the core story at that time was that this whole The whole conceit of the movie is technology versus humanity, I guess. In a way, you could say that. That Luke uses his uh, connection with this living, non-technological life force to defeat this giant, literal ball of technology floating in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that in some way, Rogue One undermines that because rather than a kind of triumph of the human spirit um that this is oh nope there was a flaw in there and then that was exploited now so Marilyn and uh Rocky Zim on the Discord were talking about this they were like no it, it's fine it, it works within the plot like the force you know worked with Galen Erso, it you know sort of worked through Luke and you know the struggle of the dark and the light and it, it sort of uh, goes out from there and I think that's Fine. I think that from a plot standpoint, I don't think Rogue One undermines um, A New Hope. But I do, I don't wonder, and I'm just curious to what your thoughts are of, of what it does with that uh, original idea that Lucas has, though, about technology versus the human spirit. Does that in any way degrade the
2: idea of the
1: movie, of the 77 movie for no, you? Or does no, it I don't think so. fe- seamlessly connect up?
2: I, I think that. What Rogue One and Andor do really well is that they say, sure, there are these heroes. You can you can have your great man theory, right? Your great mm-hmm. man theory of history, Luke Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker, all these people causing big shifts in history, you know, Palpatine. But also big changes can't happen, especially for good, without the help of people on the ground, without the help of normal people doing the right thing. And here, first of all, I don't think anyone could have made that shot. I don't think that the flaw that uh, Galen put in the Death Star could have been done by just anyone. Mm -hmm. I think he even says at one point, like, it's a one in a million shot, right? It's it's incredibly difficult. And guess what? One person takes the shot and misses. The Empire is going to put guards around there, and you're never going to get there again. You needed to have somebody really, really good for this. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can have both people be necessary, right? It can be a conjunctive solution, mm-hmm. not an either or.
1: Sure, but that's, that's all in the, in the realm of the plot, of the story. And I, and I, I agree that it works. Uh, I, I, I was trying to drive more at like, what was Lucas's original intent with the movie? And what was he saying about the human spirit overcoming technology? I mean, Darth Vader is the embodiment of, the, he's a technological monstrosity. Right. Mm-hmm. And Luke is just a simple farm boy, you know, who uses his wits and uh, his years of shooting wombats in Beggar's Canyon to take down the, the Galactic Empire.
2: Yeah. But, yeah.
1: you know, th- but just this idea of, of a mighty force being, you know, a David and Goliath, uh, if uh, that's mm-hmm. really, you know, what the story comes down to in, in a lot yeah. of ways, at least in the New Hope. It's just that Goliath had a had a weak skull because somebody, you know, made it that way.
2: Right. But I mean, you know, you have this use of technology for good when you have C-3PO and R2-D2 being sent off at the plans of the Death sure. Star away sure. from the Imperials. Right? And, right. and had there been a living person on that pod, they right. would have shot it right. down. Yep, exactly. There's a I, I saw
1: like there's no life forms.
2: <laughs> I saw a Reddit post the other day. They said, what was the biggest mistake? What was the dumbest decision in all of Star Wars? <laughs> and somebody said, let it go. There's no life forms on there. <laughs> or hold your fire. There's no life forms, and you know people were actually debating: was it because they didn't want to do the paperwork? What was what was this thing? Was this a bureaucracy working? Uh, oh, we don't want to discharge that. Why? Why are we wasting laser energy for a ship with no life forms? So
1: I guess you didn't see Alicia's post in the Star Wars channel before we. No, I didn't on the, on the microphone. So she posted a YouTube video. It's the biggest questions answered uh, for a New Hope. Uh, it's one of these YouTube breakdown videos that goes through all of these questions and she posted it there because Marilyn had a big question is how did the empire find princess Leia's ship? If hyperspace tracking technology was not, uh, available I- in the story at that time. And there's a retcon in one of the books where it's like, oh, they had a problem with their engines that left a warp signal, you know, a, a, a uh, hyperspace warp signal or kind of like it was leaking oil, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. And they were able to track them that way. That's why we start with the new hope with the star destroyer attacking her ship. Anyway, in that they, that's one of the questions that gets asked is like, why didn't they shoot that pod? And there's apparently somewhere else, something that's written maybe in one of the books about where the empire or is it from the book? I, I only caught the this just briefly before we, we got on the microphone, but it's basically that the gunnery officer didn't want his kill ratio screwed up and that his promotion was, would have been oh based on, you know, how well he was. So if he had shot at something that didn't have a life form in it, <laughs> it
2: would I don't be buy a- this. I don't buy this. Listen <laughs> to me. If you I'm, I'm talking to the audience now, if you are watching Star Wars like this, stop. If I have yourself. to explain
1: something like stop that, yeah, yourself, exactly.
2: don't look for these kinds of concrete answers. This is Star Wars. We're here for big ideas. Yes. What happens when an empire clutches its fist on the people mm. you get rebellion? That's the big idea here in this movie. That's what we're going for, because tell you what, it, you're not going to get great answers when you start digging into details on this movie.
1: Yeah, the and and going to that level of retconning is yes. is, uh, is is stretching it really just, far.
2: Just stop yourself. Sometimes right. we don't need to answer the questions.
1: Yeah, just hand wave. It's fine. It was 77. Yeah. We didn't know he didn't know what was going on. Look, anyway. if you're
2: if you're reading Tolkien, sure. Go dig up the answer. Ask mm-hmm. us, we'll dig up the answer for you. Uh, if you're watching Star Wars. There are many authors of Star Wars throughout the years. Some of it's canon. Some of it's not. You, there's not going to be a satisfying answer to a lot of questions, and that's okay.
1: Um, what else do we want to talk about?
2: Well, I figured we could talk about sort of our favorite plot points, our favorite okay. our favorite arcs in here. So, you know, the major ones we've got, like you say, the, the backstory, you know, the childhood scenes. Right. You've got the prison breaks and the rebels. Uh you've got uh you know the Sa Guerrera nonsense. You've got the you know the big battle at the end, you've got the um which planet was it on when they when they accidentally kill Galen? Edu. Edu, okay. Yeah. I can't keep all these planet names straight in this it's movie. A lot. Yep. But I think those are pretty much the few big plot points here.
1: I would say that well, let me let me just caveat one thing, too, while I'm thinking about it. We we were talking before about, you know, what movie got made versus what we had thought. And I just wanted to touch on this thing. The trailer for this movie, that to me is almost a movie in and of itself. So that's one of the things that I love most about this movie is just the trailer, because mm-hmm. that movie I was really excited to see. We didn't get exactly what they had in the trailer. That's OK. It's almost <laughs> like two different little things, but of all of the, of everything that happens in Rogue One, for all of what is produced out of it, I love the trailer. <laughs> it's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. It's so dramatic. It's got great Saga scenes, the Klaxon sounding, all of that is just, just really brilliant. Outside of that, I think. I have to go with the battle for the shield gate. And I mentioned this before mirrored with the ground battle on Scarif as the, my favorite part of this movie, because it encapsulates pretty much everything in this idea that, um, you know, the, the whole Cassian backstory That he's done all of... What does he say? I've got the quote here. (laughs) Some of us, most of us, we've all done terrible things on behalf of the rebellion. Spies, saboteurs, assassins. Everything I did, I did for the rebellion. And every time I walked away from something I wanted to forget, I told myself it was for a cause that I believed in, a cause that was worth it. Without that, we're lost. Everything we've done would have been for nothing. I couldn't face myself if I gave up now. None of us could. <laughs> Woo! It's Emotional a great monologue. <laughs> it is so good, and it mirrors uh, Luthen's mm-hmm. um, monologue in Andor, right?
2: Yeah, it's
1: this idea th- of of sacrifice, and I think that's what the the ending battle sequence in space and on the ground really represent is people sacrificing everything they had for this cause. Mm,
2: their souls, really. That's, that's the main <laughs> totally. thing that they're emphasizing.
1: And then this idea that Saw tells Jin, which she, you know, uh, says to the, uh, the group as they're getting ready to go fight one fighter with a sharp stick can take the day. So they're using, uh, the advantage of surprise. They're not going in with a crazy tight plan. They're again, you know, another line they say make 10 men feel like a hundred. So this is all this really great military stuff. You know, they're they're disobeying orders, they're they're gambling, they're going for it. They see a tactical advantage and and they risk it all. And I think for me, the way that the scenes are edited together, the the way that the the space battle, is a huge gamble. Huge, huge gamble. I mean, the re- it's one thing to send maybe one U-wing and a handful of troops. It's another thing to commit the majority of your battle fleet to a toe-to-toe slugfest, mm-hmm. you know, over an imperial-controlled planet. Right? That's crazy, and and that's the thing they pull it off, and in that that's it's just a, it's, it's an amazing ball of, of storytelling energy. It's so kinetic. It's so, um, it's so practical, the, the practical sets, right. Being down on the, where did they film it? I believe they filmed it in the Maldives. Right. So they're actually, you know, the, they had the, a bunch
2: of different filming locations, but I can, but, I can try but to but figure for Scarif, it out for you. Yeah, yeah. For
1: Scarif I'm pretty sure it was in the Maldives. Um, you know, running through the water and on the sand, uh, just, just amazing. So, the yeah, it was uh, it, it was just a a really brilliant piece of storytelling. Uh, you can say what you want about the rest of the story. I think right there in in that bit is what makes this movie for me. I feel almost like a little bit of a broken record here. Oh, <laughs> I keep, keep all right. it going around the same. That's things. all right.
2: I you know what I think that Star Wars is best when you talk about it in big ideas and rather uh-huh. than you know going nitty gritty. But um unless you know you're doing a TV show doing a scene by scene breakdown like we do for Andor or the Mandalorian. Anyway, point is I would say I I actually really enjoy and, and I think partially because space, big space battles are not really my thing. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoy the whole gang assembling thing, partially because right. I love I love a good assembling of the gang kind of thing <laughs> right. in any story. You know, right. the black company, the wheel of time. Like sure. every time we like add one piece. I mean, oh my God, how much of a joy is it when you get a new crew member in one piece? Right, nice. And I feel like, you know, cheeru coming in, let them pass in peace. Oh mm. my god, great moment. I am one with the force, and the force is with me. Uh the the humor in that part is amazing. You have uh are uh, you K-2 kidding S-O. me? I'm
1: blind.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and K2SO 2 going to, uh, to Jin, like, oh, you're worried about me now? She's like, I'm just worried I'm gonna catch a stray bullet over there, buddy. Um and, and K2SO trying to walk them through and pretend that he's Imperial. Like, you're gonna scan me? <laughs> great, great stuff. Um, by the way, K2SO I didn't realize until I was just on Wikipedia, but is played by uh Alan Tudyk, Trudyk,
1: Yeah, who Tudyk.
2: Uh, Tudyk, who I absolutely love. He is in um, arrested development as, as, and veal's dad, Mr. Veal. He, he plays Uh this pastor. Who's just kind of a, a ditz and he's really funny. He's a really funny guy. And, and I always meant to check out his show where he was the lead in it. I think he's like an alien living on living in a small town or something like that. Anyway, underappreciated actor. That's my point. Totally. But, uh, he's really funny in this. Uh, there's another, there's some other great scenes, you know, cheer almost gets shot. And one of Saw's guys, you know, shoots uh, sh- shoots the Imperial that's about to shoot him. He's like, the force protected me. He's like, I protected you. There's right. some great lines <laughs> with that. And even though it's humor, that even gets into like technology versus the force, right? Is, right. Is does it does it mean that you can't use technology if you're using the force? I don't think so. I mean, lightsabers are technology, right?
1: So this is a, a thought that I had, too, when uh, watching the film recently and something that, you know, that you've made mention of that you're excited to see. And I think was one of our our letdowns for the um, uh, Ahsoka. Yeah. Ahsoka series was force sensitive rather than a, a full force user. And this is the movie. That I The movie, I, I don't know about uh, all of the TV or, or book series, but on screen, this is the one that introduces us to somebody who is actively in touch with the force, but not actually trained as a Jedi. And so when I was thinking about the movie, I was thinking about your, I, I know that's something of, of interest to you is mm-hmm. that they have not explored this further. This idea that you could be someone like Chirrut Imwe, who is walking in the path of the, the path of the Force, yeah, but yet is not done the specific training that Jedi go through,
2: right? And you even have, yeah. First of all, yes, I was extremely disappointed by the Ahsoka finale. We don't have to get back into it. There's no, like no, I want to podcast get into podcast about us yelling about it. Yeah, but I mean, if, the
1: idea of Force sensitivity,
2: though. Yes, and I and I think that if we are going with the idea that i think was introduced in Ahsoka, which is anybody could use the force if you really need it and will it enough mhm i can't imagine Shirut not being able to bend anything by the end of this movie that's mm-hmm. that's what kind of disappoints me right is right. if it, if it is this deus ex machina then who gets to use it and why
1: right right anyway. yeah i'm not i'm not sure yeah i there's always been this idea that it's this, you know, life force that surrounds and binds us all and it's available. Then we got introduced to this concept of metachlorians and then you have some sort of genetic predisposition to be able to to use it and mm-hmm. that gets messy. The idea that if you follow some kind of monastic or or very strongly disciplined path, you should be able to use it. Like, uh, you know, that seems pretty good as a story ground to go with. Like, you've got to train and study really hard. You can't just really want it. Um, So I think they've really muddled themselves up a little bit in that regard. Uh, And especially with the the last three movies, you know, or at least in – what is that? Um, what's his name? Ryan, uh, uh, Ryan Johnson's movie where they really tried to open it up like, oh, the force is available for anyone kind of thing. Um, well,
2: I, I didn't get that from the movie. I thought it was okay. more for, for me. The Last Jedi stood for maybe it's time that we let the Jedi way go because the Jedi way was pretty toxic and sure helped lead to the rise of the Sith. Right. Um, but anyway. But anyway, I don't want to – we'll get to we're my straight, last Jedi straight. thoughts when we get to that. <laughs> we're but, straight um, way, way over I, there. I was, I was just on Wikipedia trying to find out the timeline of when things came out because I noticed as I was watching this movie too that some things are very comparable in Rebels to this. One, you have you know a superficial commonality, which is Kanan is blinded at the end of season two right. and learns to see through the force. Just like Chirrut. And it Mm -hmm. looks like actually that came out in 2020. uh, Sorry, in 2016. So a year before Rogue One. Okay. So, you know, I don't know how much was already written of Rogue One and how much they coordinated. But interesting to see Rogue One took something from Rebels. Um, And then Rebels later in 2018 took something from Rogue One. And Mon Mothma makes the same bad call where she's like, we're not going to help you. Right. We're not going to help you. Sorry, we can't dedicate resources to that. Uh, Mon Mothma, one of the most cautious war leaders of all time,
3: mm.
2: <laughs> and and Ezra has to go rogue again, <laughs> and, right? And take the the Ghost crew and go save Lethal. Uh, so that's you know same kind of bit, same kind of bit there.
1: I, I do want to just. Um, uh, put a highlight underneath the Mon Mothma question. I think that's something we should save for another discussion another time because there's like three different Mon Mothmas that we have to deal with. We have to deal with the the pre-rebellion, the active rebellion, and then the post-rebellion. And the different political demands that get placed on a leader in her position are the complexities are completely different in all three of those circumstances and, and what's at stake and the decision-making processes are radically different in, in all of those. So I think Mon Mothma as a through line is an interesting conversational point. So just want to draw an underline on on that.
2: Hmm. I think there's a question there that we're going to have to keep talking about, which is, is Mon Mothma a good leader?
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. She's, she's gone from through three different phases. Yeah, and each of those phases is a different set of complex. Uh, com- yeah, there's a different set of, of, of circumstances, and and in some cases, a leader is good in one set of circumstances but not in others. Right, right. Kind of a Moses principle, right? Like yeah. Moses brought him through the the wilderness, but wasn't able to you know get through to the promised land.
2: Yeah, God's God said no, not you.
1: Which is a little bit slightly different, but the point is, is like okay, you he was good in this part, but it wasn't good for that part.
2: Yeah, well, there's a lot of debate of t- as to why he was. I'm not going to get into Talmudic discussion right now. Don't bait me. <laughs> well, this
1: me. is what happens on a Lorehounds podcast. Don't bait right? me. There's a lot of
2: debate over whether when he said like you know I'm strik- striking the rock and now there's water, was that going too far? Was that sacrilege? Anyway, point is, the point is, um, aside from Moses, I think that Mon Mothma did a really great job threading the needle throughout Andor season 1. I don't know how Andor season 2 is going to go. I think as a rebellion commander, she's pretty overly cautious. Mm-hmm. She does seem to to take things seriously in the post imperial era in the mm-hmm. new republic era. You know, she's the one pulling for Hera to go investigate Thrawn and things like that. So I think she's better there, but Man, I think, and this is related to what we're talking about already, but this is where I was going next anyway. I think the main thing I take away from this movie and Rebels and all these all these various things is it is easy to unite people under the common cause of getting rid of the villain. Yep. It is extremely hard to keep those people together after the fact.
1: But this is what I'm saying about Mom Mothma. Yep, exactly. Yep, yep. totally. Because now suddenly... Well, we get into what we saw. We, we saw some in the um, uh, Mando stories and with the uh, Ahsoka stuff, which is mm-hmm. how do we dedicate resources? How do mm-hmm. we clean up after the fag? How do we incorporate you know, former Imperials? All of this kind of stuff.
4: Governing and then all the hard. different
1: political factions vying for right. each other, which when we take it back to Rogue One... We have this situation with the council meeting where they're like, no, we're not gonna fight. And then Jin and Cassian go, F it, let's go. Are they disobeying orders? Are they baking, breaking some sort of protocol? Mm-hmm. Are they they committed the the rebellion forces to something that they weren't necessarily strategically or tactically prepared to fight? Did they right. really have right. the resources to do a toe-to-toe you know, battle like that? They lost well, well, a lot of ships.
2: Isn't that a line that I can't remember his name, but the senator who really hated Hera, isn't that a line that he said to her at one point, this isn't a rebellion anymore. You can't just go off yeah. with your ship somewhere.
1: Right, exactly, which is what they do, right? They right. just go, no, we're, we're, we're out of here. And that's how we get Rogue One. They're like, you're not authorized to take off. And it's like, well,
2: <laughs> Yeah, but they okay. do it anyway, and it's yeah. fine because – that's how rebellions work. And I think we also see this in real life situations, not just with, you know, violent coups and things like that, which you do see that happen in different countries. You know, a government collapses because it was being tyrannical and the people rightly overturn it. But they have nothing to put in place. And it's it's really rough. I mean, we even saw that um, after the Iraq war. Right. America mm-hmm. really, you know, they took out Saddam Hussein and they really didn't have a good plan for right afterward. And we ended up stuck there for a long time. And the people there suffered. And it was really it's awful. You need to have a plan. Uh, And you have I I think there's two weaknesses that you have as the rebels turning into a government. You have one. You have a big tent here, whereas Mm -hmm. the and you see this in real life, too, right, with between political parties. You know, if you have one party really unified and you have a big tent party on the other side it's really hard for the big tent to unite on things because they don't agree about a lot of things. Saw Guerrera in the same room as Mon Mothma is very uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> and you even have Luthen lifts off. We have this faction and this faction and this faction, and they hate each other. Yeah, He can't keep everybody together. It's awful. So how do you keep that together once you have a functioning government, right? Uh, or do you have a functioning government? I guess that's the question. Mm -hmm. And the other weakness that the rebels have compared to the bad guys is they believe in freedom and the bad guys don't. So the bad guys say, top down, this is the rule. Follow it. Anybody who deviates out, they have a, a protocol that you can follow. The good guys say, well, we want you to be able to express your opinion and we want you to have input on this governance. But now you're in a stalemate, right? Now you can't authorize Hera to go rescue Ahsoka. Uh, all these things and you're just stuck and it sucks. Uh, and it's the same thing when Mon Mothma feels stuck when she can't send people to Lothal to help Ezra's people, when she can't send right. people with Cassian and Jinn to help, you know, rescue the, to rescue Galen or, or rather get the, get the plans to the Death Star. So, It's really tricky. It's not an easy problem. I'm not saying I have the solution, but I think that that's what makes this movie so good. And that's what makes Andor so good is that it raises these questions.
1: I want to bring it back quickly around too to this question of the Empire. Something that struck me in this latest rewatch was the fact that Scarif and the, the base on Scarif, where they store... All their technical plans. I'm sure there's backups somewhere else. They can't be the only place, but, you know, that's a significant resource. They have a significant presence on this planet and they cut off that finger, hand, arm. I don't know how, how you want to scale that up, but the empire is so willing to sacrifice its own resources to stop this rebel plan from happening yeah, that's 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 wild, man. That is just wild that you would take out a base as, as important as Scarif is. Even if you have a couple of other data replicated centers around, still you're reducing your the redundancy of, you know, of, of your backup information. Uh, just all of that, that the scale that the Empire is operating at just must be huge, ginormous. For uh Tarkin to go, no, nope, take him out, <laughs> you know, yeah. like just yeah. wipe this problem, just end of story. We're just gonna wipe this problem from, from our uh, you know, from our from the board. We've got other things to deal with,
2: yeah. You know, there was another another thing that I wanted to bring in from Rebels because mm-hmm. they there's a whole thing in Rebels, there's a whole arc where. Ron is in Rebels quite a lot, and he really wants to have these. Uh, I think that they're called. Oh man, I'm not going to remember, and uh, I I think they're going to be called Tie Defenders. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no, it's not the Tie Defender that actually got put into there. But there was a. Um. There was a really powerful TIE fighter, right? Okay. There was like a super-powered TIE fighter that Thrawn was working on. And that would have absolutely decimated the rebel forces. They would not have been able to compete with that. The The X-Wings just could not compete with these TIE fighters. Uh-huh. And he said, this is where we should devote our resources. And Tarkin was favoring the Death Star instead.
1: Right. So one big single point of the thing that is strategic in that it strikes fear in the hearts of everyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a giant boot heel that you can move around to dominate. Um, which is, yeah, wh- it gets taken out and then boop. <laughs> well, there goes that idea, right? That's like, uh, I'm sure there's some sort of battleship references. I think there was, who was it? Somebody had a, I think it was in world war one, a German battleship or like, this is the strongest battleship. And then they knocked it out. And that was like, Oh, Mm. Oh, well.
2: Yeah. Um, I think it's the tie interceptor by the way. Okay. That is is what I missed, but yeah, it looks like it basically, you know, it's, it's, it's politics. It's pride. It's people trying to advance their own careers over others. That makes the tie interceptor fail and Mm -hmm. fail to catch on. Meanwhile, you have the death star like you said gets taken out and that's that you don't have a death star anymore until of course you make the death star 2 which is still oh, a yeah. silly decision to me um one of the the most bizarre decisions i think in the entire franchise to make a second to, death star
1: right 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 you mean for the movie for the movie's sake yeah yeah
2: like oh you know what we'll do we'll make another one
1: <laughs> well and there that that's getting into this whole idea of intertextuality and using fan service to drive the the plot and the story as opposed to um, having the story naturally move forward in relevance to itself as opposed to being toygenic or being right. uh, a fan service-y, right And that's an interesting thing about Rogue One is is there's a ton of intertextuality, right? There's a ton of stuff. There's the the guys from the Cantina. Uh, I have their names written down here somewhere. I don't know if I can find them. You know, the guy that um, uh, Obi-Wan cuts his arm off of when they're bothering Luke. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Cornelius Avizan and Ponda Baba. Uh, That's their names. There's that. There's all kinds of other stuff where...
2: Arthur doesn't put up with that when she's running the campaign. I'll say that.
1: <laughs> no, right. I just wish I had a hole in my head that I could drink <laughs> through. Um, so that there there's a there's a whole bunch of fan y stuff in here, but none of it ever gets in the way of this being a good movie. None yeah. of it gets in the way of. Characters perform, you know, going through their their roles, even though with the Dr. Cornelius stuff, it's a little silly. And I certainly hope that those guys are headed for a shuttle right away right? because <laughs> they had to get off planet real quick. Um, the uh, idea, though, that and this is something that I've complained a lot about when watching the animated stuff is, is that it's so fan servicey. It's so member berry heavy. But we had tons of it in this movie, but it never got in the way for me. So I'm not sure what that says. It, maybe I'm just so enamored by the story that I can overlook all of that that stuff.
2: Hmm. All right. Well, I, I I think that I've pretty much said what I want to say about this movie. Okay. I mean, and,
1: without doing a full scene-by-scene scene breakdown, right, which would be and, a whole other podcast.
2: Right. But I – you know, I, we, we were talking about this the other day, and maybe write in if you have thoughts. I think that we have better conversations when we don't tie ourselves to scene-by-scene. Scene. Sure. But
1: – When we stick a little meta.
2: But but yeah, write, write in if you have thoughts. Well, I think we're talking about doing a poll. We're, we're talking about doing a poll for patrons.
1: Right. Well, we do have a, a, a lot of people who did write in for this episode, so maybe we should uh, start talking about some feedback.
2: Sure, but first, we're going to take a quick break. we're back. All right. We've got a lot of feedback. As a reminder, you can send feedback to Star Wars at the You can go to thelorehounds.com, head to the contact page, leave us a voicemail or a contact form entry. And of course, you can always tag us on Discord, say, hey, you know, I'm in the Star Wars channel now. I don't feel like going to my email inbox, so I'm going to (laughs) tag David and John uh, with this feedback that I'm putting here in the Discord server. Anyway, lots of ways to get us feedback. David, we got two voicemails this week. Yeah. This month. Exciting. Uh, very cool. Uh, two, I, well, Dork of the ninjas, Michael has left us several voicemails. I don't know if Aaron K has left us a voicemail before.
1: No, I think this is Aaron K's first voicemail, but I, I do appreciate that Dork of the ninja is a faithful user (laughs) of the voicemail thing. I always Always love appreciate it. Yeah. We always love it when, when we get these regular contributions, it's almost like another voice in our community is reaching out across the stars (laughs) to us.
2: Very cool. All right. Here's Michael, AKA Dork of the ninjas. Now.
4: Hey guys, just wanted to give a quick, take on Rogue One, as, well as fast as it can be. But Rogue One, I think that it's one of the handful of Star Wars movies that really actually has something it really wants to say. Whereas I think most of the Star Wars movies are big, popcorn fun, I think that Rogue One is trying to give us a message of trying to really be a, has a point to its story. It's trying to say that I think part of the key reason why the characters can be a little bit archetypal is because the fact is the point of the movie is to say, it's realizing and coming to the realization there are things bigger than yourself and realizing that you are not the main character always in in life when it comes to life the story of Jen in this movie is her coming to grips with I am not the main character I need to stay alive to I need to live for something bigger than myself and she comes to live to bigger than that self and she dies for it but you can see at the end of the movie she is satisfied for what she has done you can see that she is set. She's content with her decisions. She realizes that she's done something that's worth doing and worth dying for, even. I think that it is one of the best stories in Star Wars just for that. I don't think Rogue One is automatically the best Star Wars, but I think it has, honestly, in my opinion, the, one of the best stories, period. I think that we can definitely see, looking forward, that there is a lot of stuff that if Disney would decide to just double down on worrying about storytelling first and foremost, their properties would be a lot better and I think Rogue One is a perfect example of just letting the story be the story. Don't worry about... It has to connect to everything. Because that's the biggest problem I think with Rogue One is the fact is we had to shove Darth Vader in there. We had to make sure that all that stuff's in there. And the reason why that the things that work in that movie are not Just, oh, here's a cameo of Grand of Tarkin. Oh, hey, here's a cameo of Darth Vader at his castle. I think it would have been better for the movie if they had never shown Darth Vader until that hallway scene. But overall, I really enjoy this movie, and I think that it's definitely one of the better Star Wars movies, at least one of the better Star Wars movies that Disney's made. I would say half the Star Wars movies are great. Half of them are a big ol' mess. And I think this falls far from the line of being a great Star Wars movie. That's just my thoughts. Looking forward to hearing your take.
2: Cool. Well, thanks, Michael, for writing in. Always good to hear from you. What do you think, David? Is this the best Star Wars story? It is a Star Wars story. We know that from the subtitle.
1: (laughs) I like Michael's take here on this that Rogue One comes in with a point of view, which is uh, Jin's story uh, and also Cassian's story, which is you know, living for something that's greater than yourself. She starts for what arc Jin does have. um, Her turn is, is very quick and there's a lot of criticism about how that happens just in sort of one scene, you know, okay. It's a little bit shortcutted fine, but that she goes from disinterested to sacrificing herself. Um, This line that saw says to her, you know, how, how can you abide by, I'm paraphrasing here, that seeing the, uh, the flag of the empire flying across the universe. And she says, it's easy. I just don't look up.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. To the point. How many of us are like that? Right. Exactly.
1: Uh, to the point where she becomes radicalized and, um, makes the ultimate sacrifice to, uh, to make a difference. And that point of view, which is very clearly communicated in this movie, I think is something that, that Michael's putting his finger on, which maybe not all of the movies all have is a, a, a really single over arching message. I think the prequels do a lot of that lore building work and, you know, we're, we're getting into the, the story of stuff. 77 certainly has a, a, a singular message in that way. Empire, I don't know. I've never thought of all of the movies in this way, and I certainly can't think of how the, the all the, the three sequels work in that regards. But I think that that's really what gives this movie its potency, is, is that it has a really strong point of view. Um, but something that we didn't talk about in the previous section was the whole Darth Vader of it all mm. and the awesomeness that that was. I don't think I disagree With Michael on that, did, did we need the scene with Vader and and Krennic? It certainly um, works from a a standard storytelling device where we've got to um, tease the audience that, you know, that something's coming. Um, So I don't, it doesn't detract from the movie at all. For me, the ending scene with Vader is phenomenal. It is, I think, is it arguably the best Vader stuff in all of Star Wars?
2: It's very good. It's, it's very good. I mean, I do love him menacing, uh, I almost said Pat, Leia, uh, you know, with the torture device, you know, like.
1: Right. Well, that's when he's uh, he's yeah. got her against Tarkin there, right? Your yeah. Rebel spy. Yeah. and yeah. yeah.
2: Love it. Love it. Um, And I love him in the interrogation chamber with her. I think that's great. Vader. Um, but this is definitely, I think, the scariest Vader is ever. The scariest.
1: This is absolutely yeah. the scariest.
2: They do a similar scene towards the end of um, the first Star Wars Jedi game that uh-huh. Brandon and I covered on Lorehounds play. And boy, is it fucking scary like right. that Vader just in your face solo against you is terrifying.
1: Yeah, right. And we forget that. We forget that if you're an average trooper, New Republic or, or otherwise, or, re, you know, rebellion at, at this point. And this big dude, I mean, <clears throat> sorry, I'm marker all this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> I think we tend to forget that how scary Vader actually is. I mean, if you're just a regular trooper in the rebellion or in the empire or just anywhere. Right. And this big dude with a cape shows up and he starts force choking you and throwing people around and throwing boxes around or whatever that's terrifying most people in the universe have not experienced the force have not seen an actual force user they might have heard of the jedi or seen one walking down a street one day but to actually go like have one walk wrecking shop as he's walking down the the hallway of your spaceship and i think they they really deliver the terror, the abject terror that those guys were feeling in this scene in the dark and the smoke and the alarms and uh, the red, you know, saber slashing around. There's even one great scene where he's got like one guy on the ceiling and just sort of does this little flick and cuts that guy in half (laughs) as he's upside down. It's like, wow, it it really is. it, It really was a great way to end um that part of the movie was was that scene it really added a lot of energy and punch to the to the plot
2: yeah yeah i agree i agree thanks for writing in michael or for calling in it's a call in show now you know all right Uh, i'm gonna go on to aaron k who is a dunadan for our discord server. He's one of the mods really appreciate all your work and we appreciate that you called in today
3: Hey Lorehounds, Aaron K. here. I sadly missed the Rogue One live watch the other day, but I have some brief thoughts on the movie. Rogue One often gets labeled as the best Star Wars film of the Disney era, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it is the best Star Wars film, period. certainly my favorite Star Wars film. I think that the spiritual aspects of the Force that it explores are really fascinating, and I want to see more of that from Star Wars in the future. The concept of the Force flowing through all living things really gets solidified in my mind in this movie. It's been the rhetoric around the Force for the entire series that it's flowing through everything, but we never really truly get to see that displayed until this film. The Guardians of the Wills give us a framework for how normal, non-Force-sensitive Jedi-adjacent individuals, or even just regular individuals, can become more in touch with the Force and use or be guided by it in minor ways. I think that this could have been a good framework for Disney to take when they were handling the Sabine character in the Ahsoka show, but they went in a different direction with that. This film has been made even better for me by the work done in Andor. I think that the way they've expanded on that character is really great, and it makes rewatching this movie so much better. Thank you guys for the great coverage, and I can't wait to listen to the Rogue One pod.
2: Yeah, that's such a great point, is this is really the, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but this is really where this light force sensitivity shines. Mm-hmm. And I wish we got more of that in Ahsoka, but we still have Rogue One. They can't take that away from us.
1: And I think it's a pretty, well, what it is, is Aaron Kay saying the best Star Wars period? I guess in, would that be on screen? Uh, animated television, movies.
2: That's It, a, it sounded that's, like an overall to me.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty strong. That's really strong.
2: I, I'm not disagreeing.
1: It's it's. Uh, I don't know that I've ever thought of it in that regard. I mean, I I can think of my favorite, right? And that's a very idiosyncratic and personal feeling. But in terms of story construction and implication for this whole storyline, that's a, that's a pretty interesting thought.
2: Yeah, I mean, to me. I would place Andor above it if I'm going for all of Star Wars media because Andor has more room to breathe with the character development. And that's the best thing that this movie does. It's the best thing that Andor does. And Andor just has more time to do it. Right. And it's got all Tony Gilroy.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a consistency across of it. Yeah.
2: Right. And it's like I said, it's a shame we can't get that with Jyn so because her character development really begins Mm -hmm. at the beginning of this movie. Right. She didn't care. She didn't look up before this movie. So we can't get that ever.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's almost the storyline gets almost a little bit muddled with the, the daddy daughter story versus the who cares if the Empire is running the story to, oh, now I do care. Right. That is. Yeah. I get you there.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks, Aaron. Always good to hear from you and hope you'll use the voicemail feature again soon. Rocky Zim used the contact form on our website, web page. Everyone's using the website today. It's great. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad we have one. Uh, Rocky Zim says, I really like Rogue One. It's my favorite Star Wars movie. I love how it shows us how the Rebellion got the Death Star plans. It really adds more depth to a new hope and how much sacrifice and hope went in towards defeating the Empire. Regarding David's question, I don't think the flaw lessens Luke's success. They needed the Force and the flaw by Galen, like Marilyn said.
1: This is all reference to the Mm -hmm. Discord conversation that we were having.
2: Right. Like I... Think Rogue One just enhances a new hope with how you see so many sacrifice themselves to get the plans. I don't think I don't really think about it lessening anything. And the end with Vader was amazing and showed how powerful he is and how the rebels succeeded against so many odds. And now with Andor, we get to see more backstory into this era of the rebellion. Yeah, I'm I'm with Rocky Zim here. I think that this is a yes end thing. You know, this Got is yeah. this is you need because, OK, Luke Skywalker, I think Michael brought in main character syndrome, right? He says, mm-hmm. you know, the or so has to realize she's not the main character. And but I, I think to go, I, I don't know if I fully agree with that, because I think that she actually had to see herself as more important than she was mm-hmm. uh, to to go on. But I think the biggest thing with Jin was she had to.
1: Well, she's the reluctant hero, right?
2: Sure. But but also she's the one who the her turning point was wanting, you know, having hope to see her father as a hero. We all want right. to see our parents as heroes and good people. Right. And he, he, she spent her whole life thinking he's working for the Empire. He abandoned me. He abandoned mom when she was Saw, dying.
1: Right. So abandoned me. Yeah. Right.
2: I don't care about my dad. He's a villain just like the rest of them. And then she finds out he's actually been working undercover to do something heroic. She latches onto that immediately. She's like, I have to make my dad's legacy mean something.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
2: And that's, that's one of the biggest things here. And, and so I don't know if I completely agree with that, but I do think that this is a, you know, quote unquote, smaller person, right. Compared to Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker is the one who's going to get his medals at the end of a new hope. And, and, you know, be the the legend throughout the universe when we get to the sequel trilogy. But Jin Urso and Cassie and Andor laid the groundwork for him to succeed. Right. And I think what this does so well, which Rocky Zim points out, is it shows how many sacrifices were necessary mm-hmm. to enable the heroes yeah. to do their jobs.
1: Yeah. And if we stretch that out further, not just from you know Chirrut and Bodhi and 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 you know the people that we have immediately in Rogue One, but we think that extends out much much wider, right? How many how many people that we never encounter gave their lives to make this rebellion happen?
2: And even if you look at the world today, you know we we have uh, you know a president meeting with a foreign president or a foreign leader. And we say, wow, he's doing great up there. Meanwhile, there was the briefer. There was the, you know, right. all the all the policy experts that helped him prepare. There's the translator. There's all these people that allow this to happen. Right. There's all these people that really, you know, worked to make things happen. You talk about, um, you know, the Paris Climate Accords. That happened because teams of scientists were meeting to decide how to best combat climate change. And the leaders came in and they signed the paperwork it doesn't right. mean that they were solely responsible for it and so you need people to do the grunt work so that you can be the hero so that you can succeed in your big task and that's what rogue one does best
1: yeah yeah and i think andor takes it to the next degree from there too yeah. right and and we wouldn't have had andor without rogue one so there you go yeah
2: yeah marilyn arpecula who's that she's she's here <laughs> with us all the time Uh, She says, hello, Lorehounds. It was great to do a live watch on this. My first ever that used the chat to converse. Nice, because then one could simply watch and not have to listen to others' commentary.
1: So we should plug really quick the live watch thing. Uh, We're using the Discord platform and we're streaming the movie and folks can come in and we can use the chat feature and like Marilyn just said there's no talking heads or other voices you know uh, getting in the way of the movie but we can all uh, chat and have fun and and point out different things in the uh, as we go along in the movie so we're going to do a live watch for a new hope in february we haven't picked our date yet but typically we've been doing them on Saturdays i don't know i've been kind of thinking Maybe we should do them Sunday evenings, but then we have a problem with Drew Detective is on right now on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's gonna work for this. Um, but it's a, a lot of fun. Don't feel that you have to stay for the whole movie. You can drop in, drop out. I've even made a little how-to video to how to figure out the Discord interface to be able to you know watch the movie and, and have the chat open. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And so I just really wanna encourage everyone. We'll send a message out. Uh, on the Patreon with a date and uh, instructions once we have get that settled.
2: Cool. All right. So Marilyn says, first time I noticed they have a child, find it and it. <laughs> this was an amazing one sentence character reveal. It was That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. When Jin was fighting off her would be rescuers, all I could think of was please stop running and let the flurkin eat you. From the film Marvels, <laughs> then later when they're on Jeddah and Jin starts to do her solo fighting, I love the look on Cassian's face, and I particularly appreciated the look, the use of a character Cheru, who was clearly not a Jedi and yet was so one with the Force that he had an incredible ability to fight, even though he was blind. I'd like to see more of that kind of Force usage for things beyond merely fighting in future shows and series. Completely agree with that. I think we've gone over that a number of times now already.
1: indeed, I want to point out one thing really quick that she touches on here and that we didn't talk about before, which is the relationship between Cassian and Jin, and whether you know you you ship them or not, the fact that, as we're learning more about Cassian now, and we could have when we inferred a lot uh, to his character in with just the movie that he's really a, a, a person unto himself, right? He's, he's, doesn't have a lot of close connections. He's like Sinta, right? He, he's giving everything for the rebellion. And when he sees Jin, he sees in some ways a, a, a somebody that he identifies with and that he can admire and he can have a kind of respect as an equal in and in, in a way an intimacy, even if it's not romantic, just like Mm-hmm. This is a really good friend and this is somebody I have a lot of affection and and feelings towards. So, yeah, there's the scene in Angetta what like Marilyn points out where they're running around and he looks at how good of a fighter she is and he's just like, "Damn," right? He's really <laughs> yeah. he's really taken with her. And then their embrace at the end is so tender and it's so intimate and it's so mm-hmm. uh just like surrendering, they're both they're both in exactly the same point, surrendering themselves to their fates. But they're not alone. They're they're there together. And that is just such a great storytelling beat.
2: Look, so Cassian good. does his saucy business on Nyamos and he saves true intimacy for his friends.
1: Yes, it's true.
2: What happened to Bix and Brasso and B2E? We don't
1: know yet. We're gonna find hopefully find out because they're mm. They they theoretically made it off planet.
2: So oh I, I hope they're okay, but I'm a little doubtful based on yeah, it, the way that these shows go.
1: The the question is, yeah, is I th- you know, when is that gonna be part of our, our story arc? Um and and they certainly I, I certainly feel like the way that they left it, it would be weird for us to not run into them at some in some way, shape, or form in, in the early stages of Andor.
2: B2 Emo is going to fall in love with R2 D2. That's what's going to happen. Stop it. Marilyn continues Most of all, I was really struck this time by viewing by the number of You, catastrophes?
1: You, you. Yes, I can't. I, now I can't say it. I, I, I had it in my head and now it's gone. Eucatastrophes, yes. That's not
2: a real word.
1: It's a real word. It is a real
2: word. This can't be a real word.
1: It means a sudden turn of events in a story, which ensures that the protagonist does not meet some terrible impending My God. and very plausible doom. And in okay. fact, and in fact, I'm, I'm uh, referencing the, the Wikipedia article here. The writer, J.R.R. Tolkien, coined the word by affixing the Greek prefix eu, eu mm. meaning good to catastrophe the word traditionally used to in classically inspired literary criticism to refer to the unraveling or conclusion of a drama's plot.
2: That's fascinating. Thank you for educating me tonight. Uh, We're leaving this all in.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. We are totally.
2: And Marilyn says, but I think David will have more to say about this. Yes. David did have more to say about this.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So the idea that the, what would typically undo the story or the characters is actually the momentum that carries them forward and Jen even calls it out she says we'll take the next chance and when that runs out we'll take the next chance and when we take the and then we'll take the next chance So constantly the we're stumbling forward we're failing forward in this this whole movie this whole movie is a series of potential catastrophes but yet, Through force, you know, through the use of the force, through what, you know, luck, what have you, through willpower, through um, holding on to one's values and beliefs uh, and and seeing the fight through each failure or catastrophe turns the story forward so that our our heroes move to the next phase. And that is um, I think that's something also that's unique and captivating about this movie. I think that's another thing that really captivates our attention is uh, most of our films don't do it. It's the other way, right? The hero, you know, mm-hmm. is, is sort of on an upward beat defeating and, and and taking a win to another win to another win, or right. this is a failure to a failure to a failure that ultimately results in, in getting the death star plans.
2: Right. Interesting. I like that a lot. I like it a lot. Cool framework.
1: Hey, Uh, there's this guy, Tolkien, you might've heard of
2: him. (laughs) I may be going through his letters. There's a new episode coming out next week. Isn't that exciting? Oh,
1: fantastic. Uh, you know what we should do? We should put the, uh, you, you catastrophe. Oh, I can't say it now. We should put that in the show notes. Uh, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll put it in our outline here and you can plaster it in
2: there. Thank you. Maryland finishes. As for the question, does Rogue One undermine a new hope? My answer is not in the slightest. As I see it, it was still Luke's ability in the forest that guaranteed success. Galen's building in the flaw was good in itself, but it wasn't sufficient unto itself to guarantee success. As others have pointed out, somebody still had to get that message to somebody in the Rebels who could use it. Locate people who had the capacity to figure out where the plans were find enough people who are willing to go on a suicide mission to obtain the plans, actually succeed in locating the plans and transmitting them to someone who could use them. Basically, everything that we saw in Rogue One, and none of this even begins to include all of the incredible force use we saw from the two protectors of the wills without them there would have been no success so yes i would say that both films demonstrate the need for effective force users and technology did not in any way diminish or replace that without the built-in flaw there no way there was no way to destroy the death star without luke's force abilities no way to use the built-in flaw thanks for a great entertaining evening marilyn yeah so i agree with that i think they're two necessary conditions okay and I think that that necessary condition was always there, right? There was always a flaw in the Death Star. We just didn't know how the Rebels knew about it.
1: Right. They they supposedly in 77 did a technical analysis and figured something out. And it was yeah. sort of a hand-wavy thing. Um, so, yeah.
2: All right. Always good to hear from Marilyn. I'm sure we'll be chatting with her soon. Last up, though, we've got Doove71, a.k.a. Stew. Sue writes in and says, hello, Lorehounds. Hello, Doof. Firstly, I am gutted. I was unma- unable to make the live watch last week. I have been so looking forward to jumping online and watching. Probably my second favorite Star Wars movie after Empire. But that week was just so exhausting. Coupled with a long trip to take my youngest back to uni meant my stamina was flagged. My stamina just flagged. Sorry. I, I can't handle these Britishisms. <laughs> I'm sure a great time was had by all, as it is one of my favorites. I was, of course, compelled to share my thoughts, especially on how the film not only pays homage to the original trilogy, but also carves its unique identity within the wider Star Wars universe. I'm sad you couldn't make it, too, but fun times were had, and we'll see you on the next live watch, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Family first. We, they, we always say to each other, John and I, cause we both have families and we're always juggling our podcast schedules. We gotta, gotta take care of our people first and then yeah. uh, get around to the, the podcasting fun second.
2: Definitely. Duve says, I just love how rogue one masterfully captures the essence of the original star Wars trilogy, the set design, costuming, sound design, just everything from a production standpoint imbued the film with a familiar add that production flair to the general sense of adventure, moral complexity, and a fight against overwhelming odds, and it was just a heady brew of Star Wars for a new generation, whilst totally honoring the legacy. Rogue One is a lot of what I was really hoping for in the prequels back in 99, and even with all the issues around production, etc., it has a big place in my Star Wars fandom.
1: This is a common theme that... Depend, you know, you can, you can take Rogue One apart and there are definite plot holes and, and flaws in the construction, but I don't, there's not a single person I've, I've heard who does that, that then says, I didn't like the movie. (laughs) We all go, yes. And right. It's all, yeah, yeah. yeah, There's a flaw, but I I love it. Right. It's, it's a very common refrain.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You don't have Anakin going, this is outrageous. It's unfair. (laughs) All right. I hate sand. I got to get a prequel line in every single episode or else, uh, you know, what am I going to do here? The Men on a Mission theme, reminiscent of classic World War II films of the 60s and 70s, is brilliantly woven into the fabric of this film. See, he's weaving, too, now, David, evoking that Sunday afternoon thrill I had as a small kid watching these types of films and still having grandparents around who fought in World War II. The diverse band of rebels, each with their unique skills and personal demons, come together for a cause greater than themselves, mirroring the ensemble cast and the high-stakes missions seen in films like The Dirty Dozen, Guns of Navarone, or Where Eagles Dare. This not only adds depth to the narrative, but also pays homage to a genre that has inspired countless storytellers, including Lucas himself.
1: Yeah, uh, I think uh, Stu and I are, are of that generation where we would catch these films uh, on TV and they again fall into that zone of nostalgia where you just um you just have the feelings that you do around these and I totally agree that this has that high stakes uh high wire, like, okay, we've gotta to come together for the mission and uh we gotta roll the dice and, and hope for the best. And it does. It has a very war feeling to it. And it I it I think intentionally has a very Vietnam era look to it as well, in terms of the weaponry and the uniforms and certainly with the location. Um so it it adds to that mystique uh, around those uh, Saturday afternoon, you know, television, um, you know, war shows that we used to, to, to watch as kids.
2: Well, you know, my feelings on world war two movies, so I'm not going to answer that one. No. Gareth Edwards, distinctive directorial style honed through his work on monsters and Godzilla brings a raw visceral energy to rogue one and leans into his visual style. Character beats probably being the joints added by Tony Gilroy. His experience in guerrilla filmmaking is evident in the intimate ground level shots that for me were reminiscent of Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers. These rebels felt like the soldiers or commandos on a doomed mission and having Gilroy most likely focus on character driven storytelling amidst the chaos of war added to Edwards more visual beats to give a great end product. This approach makes the battles feel more immediate and personal, drawing the audience into the action and the character's journeys. I'm going to continue here because there's more on this style. Uh, Furthermore, Edward's work on Godzilla is subtly reflected in the art design of Rogue One, particularly in the depiction of scale and the portrayal of the empire's machinery and architecture. You can almost see Godzilla's face in the looming walkers on Scarif, And the scale of them compared to the rebels on the ground made them a presence just like they were in in Empire. Great stuff. The monolithic structures and the imposing presence of the Death Star and Star Destroyers bear a resemblance to the awe-inspiring, larger-than-life portrayal of Godzilla, emphasizing the David versus Goliath theme that's central to the film's narrative.
1: There's a great scene when Bay's fires a shoulder mount, a shoulder fired rocket, um, at the head of the walker as it's coming out. And it does, it really does feel like a monster bearing down on you. Uh, or even just a, a beat before that, when Bayes sees the walkers coming through the clouds and he's like, and he's running to, he's yelling to, uh, to, um, uh, cheer it, uh, Run, you know, like there's this thing, like we got to get the heck out of here. It is really a good observation that I think Edwards's guerrilla style really lends to that. I think that goes into the uh, the idea that. Um, if Gareth Edwards has the right supports around him, he's a really great filmmaker and a really great camera operator and cinematographer, just not great on the, on the story where that's Gilroy's strength, Right. So I think given the way that the whole production went down, I think, you you know, and and they didn't actively work together. Like, you know, Gilroy was brought in apparently, and I don't know how much, you know, was Gareth uh, out after a certain point, but given all of that messiness going on, that we did get as good a film as we did, that's that's saying something for both the directors. So, no shade on on either side, I think.
2: Right. All right. Cool. Yeah. I I think for me, again, I'm much more of a storytelling guy than I am a visual guy. So I I will always favor the Gil, Gilroy approach. Right. right. But it's definitely good to have some eye candy for everyone too. And and I do think that you know the way that things are shot, you know. I always like to think of the most effective, you know, on the ground combat for me was the Battle of the Bastards with following Jon Snow through through that chaotic battle that worked for me really well. And that excited me, even though that's not something I usually focus on. So it definitely makes a difference in this movie. The fact that you have this, you know, this on the ground gritty conflict. Yep. All right. Last thing from do for me. Rogue one stands as a remarkable addition to the star Wars saga, successfully blending the old with the new and showcasing what was really a joint venture between Edwards and Gilroy into a unique vision. There you go. It's ability to pay homage to different genres and filmmaking styles while delivering a story that feels both fresh and deeply rooted in star Wars. Lore is nothing short of cinematic brilliance.
1: Yeah. High praise.
2: I just love, love, love this movie and can see why Lucasfilm greenlit Andor as Gilroy just got the characters and nailed it. Long live the Rebellion stew. David, that's such a nice note to close on.
1: It is. I don't think we can add much more. There are a million details in this movie, uh, and you could do literally a shot by shot breakdown if you wanted to. But uh I, I think we've, uh, we've hit all the salient points
2: and we're already almost two hours in and the PA didn't even do a scene by scene. So uh perhaps we should talk about quickly our Patreon, our show show notes and whatnot. And maybe you could take the lead since I've read pages of feedback now.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk quickly about our Patreon and the benefits to being a subscriber. Our, ad revenues are really fickle and while we don't do this as our full-time job uh, we do have a lot of costs that we have to pay for as well we have a number of co-hosts that we work with and we want to make sure that they are able to partake in the success of the podcast as well so um, if you are a subscriber just know that your support goes out to supporting all of us and making sure that we have all the tools uh, pay for the website and the domain and the software that we need. And so it really makes a difference to us to to have material supporters. The One of the benefits that you get now is uh, something we call the show tracker, which is this cool database thing that we've made that tracks all kinds of titles of of TV and movies that are coming up in a year. It's not everything that we're podcasting about, but it's stuff that you know, it's it's increasingly harder to pick and choose, and we have al, we have sort of this pabulum of an algorithm of what the algorithms shove at us. So it's kind of hard to think what what do I want to watch, what what do I uh, what am I interested in, and uh, this tool is something that can help you look out into there and, and see what's on when. Uh, so it's it's a pretty cool thing, and that's a Patreon exclusive. You also get uh, our second breakfast. Podcast, which is where John and I talk about our lives, the things that we're doing, playing, watching, that, you know, things that we're not podcasting about, as well as an opportunity for subscribers to write in and talk about what's going on with them. We just really try to build that community sensibility with everybody. Um, As well, we have the Detectives Journal for our true detective coverage. I'm putting together all my notes of clues and Easter eggs and character guides from true detective season four and putting that all online for folks. And that's again, another, uh, exclusive benefit. So, uh, the last thing I'll say is come and go as you need, you know, not everybody's finances are, uh, the same. And so if you want to pop in and just support us for a little while while you're watching a particular show and then unsubscribe, totally fine. Don't worry about it. We appreciate all of your support. Uh, as Part of, well, it's not a Patreon benefit. I mean, it's open for everyone. We have our Discord. And we've got a a pretty fun community there. We've got some server boosters. Gnarls, uh, Aaron K., (laughs) Opus the Machine, John, even you boost the server. We've got a few mods. We've got Aaron K. and uh, Adrian. And uh, Josh the Black helps out a little bit. And who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting one other person. Uh, because it's late, and uh, Adrian, oh, Brian8063, that's who it is. Uh, They help out uh, with channels and uh, maintenance and that kind of stuff, and it's a really fun community, and it's just a a great place if you want to talk about the shows or books that you're reading and you just want to get together with some other people. It's hard, you know, life is kind of crazy right now. And so having an online coffee shop, if you will, you know, um, this is kind of that opportunity, that third place you can come and hang out. So, uh, we also, support two other podcasts. Currently we have wool shift dust and properly Howard movie reviews, Properly Howard movie review is Steve and Anthony. You may know Anthony from his electric Bukaloo podcast, which covers all of the George RR R. R. Martin uh, books. They do movie reviews, uh typically old movies, and they have a lot of fun. They do some um, current movies as well. They're on a little break right now. Anthony's a bit busy with his uh IRL work, but we're all waiting for Severance season two. And John, you had some dour news about that today or was it yesterday? Um
2: it was today. It's not it's not dour. It's just, you know, it's not coming until at least the end of this year. That's your prediction. They, yeah. They just well they just announced that they just started At post the the last part of the season right so and it sounds like they at least had a couple episodes to go so yeah i mean with that and post i don't know i can't see this coming out before at least fall
1: yeah which is really disappointing but such as such as it is once season two does come out steve and anthony and john and i are going to do a four-person week-to-week breakdown uh Stephen Anthony did a full season one breakdown. It's already out in the special feed. There's a link in the show note for that feed. You can go on there and get all those episodes now. And then we're just waiting for season two. Wool Shift Dust. That's Alicia's channel. Uh, Alicia does a lot of work with us on the MCU and other things. She is getting ready for some more Dune coverage. She, uh, I think they just released the Silo chapter on the Silo uh, Wool Shift Dust um, uh, book club. Uh, three body problem is also on her horizon. And I know she's working with Jean on some comic DC MCU type stuff as well. So links for those are in the show notes for us for February. Gosh, we have to get into our February programming. Don't we, John?
2: Mm-hmm. I'm going to give we- a quick one because we've been going a long time now. I'm yeah. Tell people what's going Ring on. Bring us home. True detective season four. It's really good. It's spooky. There's only six episodes Join us. It's our first big show of the year. David, you're putting together a crazy detective notebook. I think you mentioned it already with Patreon benefits, so uh, don't need to go too much into that, but there's plenty of great stuff going on over there, plenty of theory crafting in the Discord. Join us for that. Brandon and I are going to be talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake in February. We're about to record that, even though we've moved the podcast recording date about six times now. It's going to happen soon, and so get your feedback in, too, if you want to chat about that. You have a few more days to do that. Uh, we're going to be moving on to a new hope in February with the Star Wars stuff. Uh, Earthsea is coming back in February. Silmarillion stories. Um, you put out what if and echo and we did Fargo season five, as far as things that just came out, we did, uh, um, masters of the air masters of the air. How could I forget? I actually, I yep. listened to that even though I didn't watch the second episode because I was curious. I've I don't think I've listened to a you and Brandon podcast before. And I was like, this is, this is good chemistry. Oh, good. That's, nice. That's, nice. <laughs>
1: That's great. We're um, going to do a second part to Master of the Air when the season wraps. So we've got one pod that covers uh, episodes one and two, and then we'll do another one that wraps up at the end.
2: Cool. All right. I think we're we're considering some other stuff. We talked about some Star Wars stuff coming. Um, we'll keep our eye out for news about House of the Dragon, Rings of Power, The Boys, The Accolade, et cetera. Uh, for now, let's just say a quick thank you to our patrons before we get out of here. Our Patreon Lore Masters get a special shout out every episode. They are Samartian, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O.H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., duve 71 Brian8063, who's a Dunadan, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C., Eric F., Matthew M., Sarah M., DJ Miwa, Andra B., Kwang Yu, Dead Eye Jedi Bob, Nathan T., Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero, Aaron K, another Dunadan, Dally V, Gnarls, and Adrian, who will always be last but never least. And I was also a Discord Dunadan. Dunadan, man, I'm saying all the words weird because it's been two hours. So, uh, David, I think it's time we get out of here because sure. I'm my brain is melting from the force, the force will of Darth <laughs> Vader or something. That's I don't right. know.
1: Yeah, it's it's devolving. Uh, special shout out to Nancy M. Thanks, Nancy, for the photos. I appreciate it. All right, John. I guess I will see you on uh, the next podcast on True Detective Episode 4. I think will be our next.
2: See you there. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. And connect with us on Twitter at the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening.
0: A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning.